Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to church. Glad that you're here. I want to welcome those of you that are in the room, all those of you that are watching online as well. There was a consistent theme in my email box starting about Thursday evening, which was, Grant, would you pray for us? So-and-so is sick. So-and-so is sick. My grandson is sick. My grandchild is sick. My brother is sick. My father-in-law is sick. And it was just person after person after person. And so for those of you that are staying home and are not feeling well, we are so glad that you're with us. For those of you that are in the room, I pray you're feeling well, and I'm glad that you're here with me as well. I'd like to start off this year with some good news. In the midst of all of this COVID stuff that's been going on, one of the good pieces that I can tell you is we actually met budget as a church this year, which is, I mean, it's a pretty incredible thing. And... Above and beyond that, your generosity actually touches people around the world. And I don't just say that because that's the thing you're supposed to say. It's actually true. So this year, we heard about a need with, through our global partners, John and Jacinta McCallway. If you've ever met John and Jacinta, they are an absolute delight. They were doing a Christmas feeding program specifically targeted for widows and orphans in Kenya and Tanzania. If you don't know, if you are a widow or an orphan in Kenya or Tanzania, you don't have many options. So food for you is actually a miracle. And your generosity as a church actually saved lives. We got a letter from John, and this is what it was read. It was addressed to my wife, Laurel, who's in charge of our missions area. He said, hello, Laurel. Greetings from our family. Wishing both you and our CTK family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year for 2022. Jacinta and I wanted to thank you for your unrelenting support towards both our family and ministry. Your support and partnership has been a key to our ministry success this year. We look forward to working together in the coming year and advancing the kingdom of God. Our annual widow and orphans food Christmas uh, food basket celebrations are going very well. Today we did our third day of the celebrations, bringing the number of those who have been reached to slightly over 900. The last three days have been filled with tears of joy, celebrations, worship, praise, and dance. We've seen laughter of joy and people coming to the Lord. Just today alone, we distributed 400 baskets of food and had 40 souls come to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Thank you for joining hands and giving sacrificially towards this course. We end tomorrow. Our team is so excited. I wanted you to see two photos of the food distribution. I believe these photos were taken on an iPhone that you bought for John because his phone had fallen apart. So here's the other good. So that's John and Jacinta handing out one of the food baskets to a group of ladies. All of the ladies behind them there are actually widows. And so you helped save their lives. And then here's another picture as well, which is we were able to do a distribution with the Maasai, uh, which is out in the Angakarit area, which is absolutely joyful. And I am so deeply grateful for your care for the most vulnerable, all the way from Whatcom County to the other side of the world. I think we need to thank God for that. I think it's just fantastic. I also want to let you know something as well. So I'm actually going to be gone for about a four-week period. Uh, back in December, or sorry, in uh, 2018, I had a sabbatical, and I deferred a month of that sabbatical, and I believe it's time to refresh the soul. So while I'm gone over this next little bit, Pastor Brian will be preaching a fantastic new series. The working title is Mindset, Finding Joy in the Middle of God Knows What. 
I think it's just going to be so unbelievably good. I know you're going to be encouraged and challenged as well. One of our CTK favorite guest speakers, Emily Jameson, is going to be here during this season. If you've ever heard Emily speak before, you will be so challenged. And I'll be back in mid-February to preach, and then we're going to do Missions Month in March. And we have so much to share with you about our battle against human trafficking in Belize. God is doing so far above we could have, what we could have asked or imagined. I don't even have time don't get me started. And then we're going to journey towards the cross through Easter. So it's going to be an amazing spring. But before we go forward, let's just take a quick look back. So throughout the month of December, Brian and I brought home the most prevalent promise in the entire Bible. And I hope that after that theme being preached on week after week after week, that you could join me in saying one thing. And that is that God is with us. Matthew chapter 1, I'll remind you again. The Bible says, and you will give him the name Emmanuel, meaning... God with us. Which means this, God through the Holy Spirit is with you right now. God is here, God is at your home, God is in your bedroom if you're not feeling well and you're laying down in your bed, God is with you in a coffee shop, in the restaurant, wherever you're watching. God is here, God is near, He is present, He is around us, He's within us. God is with us. And then last week, King David was taking a moment, if you remember, he was taking stock of his life, and he, and he flipped the script over. God, David knew, he spent his whole life experiencing that God was with him, but then he took a moment, and he boiled his life down to one solitary request. He said, not only is there one thing I know, but there's one thing I ask, to be with God. I know God is with me, but what I want to ask is that I would be able to be with God. Psalm 27, verse 4 says, one thing, one thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. Last week, I asked repeatedly, what is your one thing? And don't give me your stock Christian answer. Well, honestly, what is your one thing? I got a lot of feedback from that question. Here was the prominent theme, as so many people said. This is how the conversation went in very general terms. A lot of people said this. I asked myself the question, what's my one thing? And I did not like my first answer. Because being present with God was not at the top of my list. Do you know what was at the top of almost everyone's one thing list when they boiled it down? It was personal comfort and ease. I just want God to make my life easier. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. Because I believe our culture is addicted to ease. You remember the Susie Larson quote from last week? It so begs repeating. We love our comfort. God prefers our faith. We love predictability. God invites us on an adventure. We want relief. God wants redemption. We want a break. God is after a breakthrough. One thing I know, one thing I ask, and this week, one thing I do. The Apostle Paul is having a moment just like David was last week. He is analyzing his life. He's taking stock. He's evaluating his one thing. If you ever want to know what Paul's one thing was, it was embedded in a moment when he said these words, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. That's one thing. That's what he said, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. But in this moment, he's taking stock of his life. He's been looking back, and this is what he says to us. Brothers and sisters, 
I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it, which means there's something out there just out of my grasp. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're going to unpack just those verses right here, right now on this Saturday night. So one thing I know, one thing I ask, and now one thing I do, and Paul divides it into two halves, forgetting what is behind. Last week we talked about the rearview mirror, right? And the simple fact that the simple proportions of a rearview mirror versus a windshield tell us a story. And the story's pretty simple, right? You can't look ahead if you're obsessed with what's behind you. You can't move forward if your eyes are trained on something that happened in the past. You have to look beyond what's in the past into the future to see where God is taking you and where you are actually headed. Paul is doing that in this moment. And he uses a powerful Greek word to describe it. Epilanthanomai. I practiced that all week. Epilanthanomai, which means completely forgetting. Paul's telling us there's one thing we all have to do. We need to forget the portions of our past that were all about us. Now, there are portions of your past you have to remember, right? When God saved you, when God carried you, God's promises, God's word, God's triumph. Don't ever forget God's rescue, but all that other stuff, your failures, and your shame, and your mess, and all of those moments when you were trying really hard religiously, but you just missed him all together, that stuff has to go. Here's what's so interesting. The Greek word here is actually active, which means it's a selective and purposeful forgetting that's ongoing. I don't know about you, I have to go back to some of that stuff and forget it day after day after day after day after day because it keeps coming up over and over and over and over again. Anybody else with me? I mean, it's never completely done, right? Because every moment, life's putting something else in your rearview mirror. The second you go past it, it's right back there. So let me make this clear. Forgetting is not amnesia. That's not how this works. To forget in Scripture means that what is behind you no longer influences you or affects you in a negative way. What's behind you, it's still there, but it's not a roadblock anymore. It's not tripping you up anymore. Paul is making a conscious choice to not focus on anything in his past that would keep him from running the race God had for him both now and in the future. Forgetting what is behind. And Paul's not just talking about the bad stuff. Boy, we're really, really good at doing that, right? Because forgetting the bad stuff is so desirable. I don't know about you, I just want, I want to forget the bad moments. But Paul says I have to selectively forget both the bad and the good. Let's go back in the chapter a little bit. Early in the chapter, Paul lists off his spiritual, and this is really important, he lists off his religious resume. Here's what he says. He goes, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. 
He goes through his religious resume. Here's how mine would sound. Born into a Christian home. A member of Faith Fellowship Baptist Church at the age of 12. Winner of an Awana Timothy Award. Perfect Sunday school attendance. Wore a suit at the age of nine. Carried a King James Bible with a leather cover and went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and for the love of Jesus, Wednesday evening prayer meeting as well. Can I get an amen from someone? Okay. Do you know what Paul calls that? Garbage. Don't believe me? Read Philippians 3. But we like to hold on to that stuff because it seems really important to us. We all want to hold on to our good stuff. You know how I know that? I know that because there are 50-plus-year-old men in this room who still have a soccer trophy from when you were in the sixth grade, and you just can't give it up because it represents a good moment for you. We want to hold on to the victories even when we were 12. And here's what Paul says. Even my religious good stuff has got to go in the rearview mirror. Why? Because my good used to all be about me. Paul actually uses this phrase. He calls it a righteousness of my own. Now let's be honest. All that stuff, it had some value. But when it becomes an idol of how good you are and compared to those kind of people, Paul says it's both arrogant and it's garbage. Paul puts the worst of him. And I'm not saying that or assigning that to my brother Paul. Paul actually called himself the worst of sinners multiple times. Paul takes the worst of him and his best religious effort and he puts it in the rearview mirror and he says, I'm going to wipe the memory banks of that because I only have one direction to look. That's forward towards Jesus and the cross and an empty tomb. Now let's have an honest moment. Why is it so hard to forget that stuff? Let me tell you why. It's because we have a reminder in the back seat. I'm just assembling car parts all over the place. Let me tell you a little story. So I remember a summer road trip that my family took from Brandon, Manitoba. We were coming to the West Coast to see my aunts and my uncles in Vancouver, British Columbia. We used to have one of those old boat, like big, big cars with bench seats. Anybody remember cars with actual bench seats? I mean, they went all the way across, right? And my grandparents actually came with us on this trip. They came down to Brandon from Swan River, and we jumped in the car. We drove all the way across, halfway across Canada, to come and see my aunts and my uncles. It was back in the days you didn't wear seatbelts. It was not the law, and it was okay, because my grandma, anytime we hit the brakes, would like slap her hand on my chest, and it was good, because there was an airbag hanging right here that just took care of absolutely everything. And I <laughs> love you, Grandma. She's home in heaven. It's all good, okay? But I remember, I drove my parents nuts because I was in the back seat, right? They're up here in the front seat. My dad's driving. My mom, we're all packed into the car. And I'm just being that annoying, obnoxious little kid that's just chirping in my dad's ear, asking the question to which there is no answer, right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer are we actually going to be doing this? Dad, what should we do? Flicking his ear, doing whatever I wanted to. Wet willies. I mean, it was horrible, right? Just being an absolute punk in the back. <laughs> I was a constant reminder to them, we have not arrived yet. And we need Jesus in this car right now. 
or somebody's going to get hurt. That's how it's working, right? That was a constant reminder we had not arrived yet, and I'll tell you what, the devil does exactly the same thing. He sits in the back seat right behind us. By the way, if you position yourself here, you need to reevaluate your one thing because you're not driving anything. This whole bumper sticker thing drives me nuts. God is my co-pilot. That's not Jesus. You're over here. Somebody say amen. Yeah, you're over here. He drives. He controls. He applies the brake. He's got the accelerator. You're along for the ride with him. He's directing. He's in charge of everything. You're in charge of nothing. That's actually a really good thing, just so we're clear, okay? So, we're here, and there's a reminder in the back seat that keeps going. I remember all the things you did. I remember when you made that decision that broke God's heart and I'm never going to let you forget it. I'm going to keep chirping in your ear. You are a piece of garbage. You are junk. You are not the best of you. You are the worst of you. There's a thing called grace for everybody else, but it doesn't apply to people like you. You are a mess. You are unforgivable. You are broken. And I'm going to relentlessly remind you of how bad you are every opportunity that I get. Every one of us will encounter that. Let me give you a couple of pieces of wisdom. The next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. And secondly, the only way to silence the enemy is with Scripture. That's why God says you need to renew your mind. The Bible says we are to renew our mind with God's Word. When the enemy was tempting Jesus, he responded every time with Scripture. Satan comes along, Jesus, turn this bread or these stones into bread. You're so unbelievably hungry. How does he answer? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's beautiful. So when the enemy reminds me of my past, I get to say out loud scripture that I have placed in my heart that has perked through my soul so that I can say along with the Apostle Paul, that is who I was, but that is not who I am. I'm a forgiven son of God. My father has declared me washed, cleansed, forgiven, and set free. And for the record, greater is he that is in me than you. And we have to hold that. I can say I will not look back except to see those moments when God showed up for me and also to see just how far I've come. My eyes are fixed on the author and the perfecter of my faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and was triumphant. King Jesus, that's where my eyes are, and I will not look back. I will not be distracted. I'm not getting stuck in the old stuff ever, ever again. I will never forget God's promises or God's word, but all of that stuff, the best and the worst, it's not in my mind anymore because I will not be distracted and look back. On May the 6th, 1954, Roger Bannister became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. A lot of people know that part of the story. Within two months, an Australian named John Landy actually beat Bannister's mark by 1.4 seconds, which was huge. August the 7th, the two of them met together during the Empire Games in a little town called Vancouver, British Columbia, right across the line, in a race that's known legendarily as the Miracle Mile. Some of you don't know, that happened right across the line in Canada. 
Bannister strategized that he was going to relax during the third lap and save everything for his finishing kick. But as they got to the third lap, the Australian was pouring it on. Landy was running the race of his life and was already stretching out a substantial lead. So Bannister adjusted his strategy. He started to increase his pace and he started gaining on Landy. The, the lead was quickly cut in half and at the bell for the final lap, they were actually dead even. Landy began to run faster and faster. Bannister followed suit. Both men were flying around the track. Bannister said, he goes, I actually felt I was going to lose if Landy didn't slow down. But then came this famous, iconic moment. Landy, the Australian, lost track of Bannister. He couldn't hear his footsteps. And in a second, he looked back to try and find his opponent. There's a famous picture of it. Let's take a look. Do you see him? Landy is looking to his left. What he didn't know is Bannister was on his right. A momentary distraction. And it cost Landy the race. Landy was holding the lead, but he was haunted by a question. Where did Bannister go? Bannister launched his attack. He won the Empire Games that day by five yards. And Landy's laps is as old as antiquity, and it's the same mistake that we all make. The Apostle Paul, if he was looking at that picture, he would have said, that's exactly what I was talking about in Philippians chapter 3. A runner must forget what lies behind, because when a runner turns even slightly to glance back, there's a momentary loss of focus, and you lose precious seconds, and it's often the difference between winning and losing. I love history. New York Times, our Times Magazine reporter sat down across from Landy and took his statement after the race. Here's what he said. If I hadn't looked back, I would have won. <laughs> My brothers and sisters, don't look back. Forget what lies behind. And, and if you ever get stuck knowing how do I actually do this, I also want you to remember this. Forgetting almost always involves either forgetting or forgiving someone else or forgiving yourself. That's just half of what Paul says is his one thing. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind. The second half is straining towards what is ahead. Epektinomenos in Greek. I practiced that too. <laughs> Another fancy Greek term, it literally means this, to overextend oneself, to stretch one's muscles to the limit for the sake of the finish line. That's what it means. You've seen this happen at the end of every 100-meter race in the Olympics. Let me show you a picture. That's it right there. You see that? That's Usain Bolt pressing everything he has forward. And it's not just about this particular moment. We're going to leave the picture up there, but it's every muscle, every moment of training, every lost race in the past, every previous victory. Everything is being thrown forward towards the finish line. He is straining to get across that line. I want you to notice something about the picture as well. Do you notice that not a single runner is looking backwards? Bolt's head is down. It's because he's leaning, trying to get the crown of his head across the line first. All of their attention's on the finish line. My brothers and sisters, we're not just trying to get to a piece of tape first. We're actually trying to get to heaven. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus author and perfecter of our faith who holds the grace that covered all of our past 
and holds the promise of your eternity right in the center of his hand. Straining for what is in front of you. Laurel and I had an opportunity uh, to record a podcast this week. I cannot wait to share it with you. It'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. We sat down with two people that many of you know. We sat down with Sam Middlebrook, and we sat down with Debbie Chavez. And we talked about their stories. What amazed me was this. Sam had COVID and got his miracle. Debbie's husband, Raul, got COVID. And without being flippant, got a different kind of miracle. Not the one any of us were praying for. What was amazing to me was how both of them came together and had their eyes forward on Jesus. They both said, Jesus is the only thing that's gotten me through this. The title of the podcast is Live Like You're Dying. What I saw was two human beings both straining towards the finish line. So here we are at the end and we're back at the windshield. We've got the same small rearview mirror and the same cracked and broken view forward. We used a cracked windshield on purpose because that's how life is, right? The Bible actually has a word for this. It says we see through a glass darkly, which means this. We, we can't see everything because our view is limited as human beings, but we serve a God who sees all, and I mean Can I tell you something about windshields? A windshield is actually made of tempered glass and it can withstand up to 9,400 pounds of pressure per square inch. I like to think of it as a refuge of God's grace. God is our protection from anything that's coming at us that could knock us off course. For one purpose, I put it in your outline this way. Leaning into the pressure of the wind through the promise of God's protection, it allows our eyes to be fixed on the finish line of heaven. Your finish line is not retirement. Your finish line is not your funeral. As a follower of Jesus, your finish line is on the other side of heaven, and if you know anything about heaven, that's actually just the beginning of the story. We could talk for hours about what we're straining towards, what we as a church are straining towards. This coming March, we're going to be talking to you about a dream that we have, not just to be a church with a global missions program, but to be a global church. We want to talk about increasing our digital footprint to be able to reach people in homes all over the place. We want to talk to you about a greater community impact. We've had some great victories in the past. We've had some really bad defeats too. And what I know is this, we can't afford to look back. We can't look back and go, wow, how amazing things were. We also can't look back and go, oh, how tough things were. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because our community, especially people who don't know Christ, they desperately need us to keep our eyes on Jesus. I could talk for hours about the we of CTK, but I'd rather talk about you and me. What are you straining towards this year? 
What's your one thing? Where are you putting all of your energy when it comes to Christ and your relationship with him? Christy Kane had an incredible post this past week. She said, you must intentionally choose to turn down the volume of the world if you want to be able to more clearly discern the voice of God. There are so many distractions that will hijack our attention and time if we are not ruthless to guard and protect them. She said, I'm in a season of hypervigilance when it comes to paying attention to my own spiritual disciplines and walk with God. I, I want to be in step with the Spirit in 2022. I want supernatural strength to fulfill a supernatural purpose. I want supernatural provision to resource a supernatural vision. I want supernatural wisdom, not just natural knowledge. I want supernatural discernment, not just natural insight. I want supernatural joy and peace, which are not dependent on my natural circumstances. Let me say that again. I want supernatural joy and peace which are not dependent on my natural circumstances. In order to walk in the Spirit, I've got to feed my Spirit. To do that, I must be in the Scriptures, pray in the Spirit, and fill my atmosphere with praise and worship. I've got to unplug from people, places, and things in order to plug into God, and I'm guessing you do too. It's not going to happen by default. You have to be strategic. You have to choose to have God with you and to be with God. You have to make a decision to move away from the noise of the world and enter fully and completely into the beautiful presence of God. Isn't it interesting that Christie's one thing is about acting on God's presence, his promise, and his future? She's not talking about good intentions. It's like, this is how I'm actually going to go about doing that. That's what Paul was saying. I'm going to strategically forget what's behind. And I'm going to put everything I have into that final lean. So I have a challenge for you as we get ready to wrap up this particular message. <laughs> My challenge for you is to do this. To take a sticky note, write this verse on it, and put it in your steering, on your steering wheel. Don't read it while you're driving. Read it before and after. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. This encapsulates everything that we've been talking about. Isaiah 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, and oh, by the way, this is God speaking. I'm doing a new thing. <laughs> now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now, now it springs up. Can't you see it? Can't you feel it? Can't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in what appears to be a desert. One thing I know, one thing I ask, and now one thing I do. You grab hold of those three things. <laughs> There's no telling what God might do in 2022. 
here in the room, I'm going to ask if you'd stand with me. Our time is gone, and it's time to pray. And to everyone who's watching at home tonight, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope and pray that this week we would, that we would actually pause and say, God, help me to do that one thing. May God bless us as we do that work together. Would you pray with me as we close? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for a look forward. And thank you for more perspective on looking back. God, I thank you that Emmanuel is with us. God, I thank you that you've invited us to be with you. And I'm so grateful that Paul has been so practical. telling us one thing that we should do. Lord, give us the discipline to forget what is behind and the devotion to look forward to what comes ahead. May we trust you. May we love you. And may we walk with you through this year that is yours and yours alone, 2022. I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters. Keep them well. And Lord, may we all be obedient as we are called towards this one thing, to be in your presence. God bless and keep my church family for the next number of weeks. Bless Pastor Brian as he preaches faithfully. God, thank you so much for both rest and hope. We are so unbelievably grateful that you are the shepherd of your church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said.